Tonight is Wednesday. It's August 30th, the year 2023, and we are going to be reading out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, this is the third Bible teaching in a row that's been in 28, Deuteronomy 28, because that is such a long uh, chapter. It goes all the way to uh, verse 68. We, we are at 46, and notice how the, the first 14 verses were blessing, the rest of it's cursing. And, you know, unfortunately, the Bible has a lot of negative stuff. Well, you, you might say that's negative. Uh, people may come to church and they want an uplifting, positive message to get them through the week. And that's what they're wanting when they come to church. Well, that's hard to do every single Sunday without me purposely leaving out a whole lot of Bible teaching. And that's just not something I'm going to do. Uh, I, I like going through all of Hebrews, and we're, we've, we've gone through, we've read every word all the way up to where we are now in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And so far on Wednesday nights, we have read every word, and some of those words were not pleasant words to read. <clears throat> and we've read every word all the way up to where we are now. So, we're not skipping anything, even though it's very tempting to say, you know what, we probably should skip that. That's a little uncomfortable. Or, this is, uh, you know, something that nobody wants to hear about. But, I believe that every single word, every word, you know, this past Sunday's message was about Every word. And we were, we were talking about Luke 4, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, and every time he was tempted, he came back with the word of God. And, you know, Jesus was very clear about, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, in Matthew he says, he quotes it more like what it says in Deuteronomy, and he says, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Uh, every word is what he said. Every word. So, so I believe that every word in this Bible is the word of God. Should I skip any of them? Um, not purposely, I won't. I know we are all humans, and we need to, you know, to be understanding. You, you might miss something here and there. Uh, there are certain parts of the Bible that have maybe never been preached in churches. I don't know. But it's a, it's a bunch, of, bunch of material here. Okay? So it's hard to get it all uh, spoken out. But every single one of us as Christians should want to read every bit of it for ourselves. So, very proud of Joseph. He's gone through the whole Bible, has read every word, and now he's on his second trip. 
So, uh, you know, it motivates me. Um, and, and it makes me wish that in the past I would have taken more time when I was his age and read more. Um, I can remember being just a little bit older than him now. Uh, what he, what, you're 20? I can remember being 21, 22, reading the Word, and I was given an amplified Bible and a lot of words, a whole lot of words. I've told this before, but I was given an amplified Bible, and I started reading it, and it just didn't seem to stick. And for whatever reason, I felt like I was being led to go back to that black Bible that my dad gave me when I was a kid because I remembered reading it when I was a kid and I could remember the things that I read. And I'm like, why is it that I'm remembering the things that I read out of that black Bible and I'm not retaining the things I'm reading out of this new Bible that was given to me? So I went back to that black Bible looking at it like, well, it was... Uh, it's an old, it smelled a little musty. It was given to my dad at this very church when he was a, uh, like a middle schooler, that, that, that age. It was given to him, and I've showed it here before. A long time ago when I preached here uh, for the, one of the first times, and I had that Bible with me, and I showed it to everybody, and I opened it up, and it was to my dad. It was written out to my dad, and the handwriting was Jan Apcar's handwriting. So my dad had given me that, and so I started reading that. I would read something out of Amplified, then I would read it out of, the, out of the King James Version, and it stuck. And I was, my eyes were open. I'm like, something about this King James Bible. I don't know what it is, but there's something about it. Everybody tells me that the words are too hard, and you're going to have a hard time reading it, but yet I'm reading the one that they said is going to be the easiest for me to understand. It'll explain everything to you, and uh, it was the opposite for me. So that's why I preached the sermon I did this past Sunday, because I have been hearing a whole lot of people talk about these new and improved modern translations, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands that I think it's a dangerous thing to push the King James Bible to the side. I think it's very, very dangerous. And that's one reason why I feel that way, uh, because of what happened to me in my early Christian walk, when my real, real Christian walk started. But um, So that's why I preach out of the King James. And I, just, I hope that some of the things I shared created some interest in looking deeper into the Word and, and noticing these things, these little things uh, that point to God sealing His Word. God sealing it. It is, it is what we need, and it's got every word in it. So, so I believe that. All right, so as we, we're going to read, uh, starting with verse 46 of Deuteronomy 28, and... Um, Remember, this is a lot of bad stuff that's happening, but it's a warning. It is a warning. We need to know about it. 46, 
Now this is right after uh, the curses uh, coming upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee. That's 45. Because that you, didn't, you, you did not hearken to the voice of the Lord. And starting with 46. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder. Those, those, those things that catch up with you and overtake you, that's going to be proof for others to look at and say they are going the wrong way. They're not following God. Now we know that that has happened to Israel multiple times. We, as Gentiles, we look back at the history of Israel and how they did this very thing, and we should learn from it. What? All right, so we should learn from that. Learn from others' others, their, others mistakes, okay? Uh, for a, a wonder, and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. They should have, they should have not forgotten being led out of Egypt, the sea parting for them, the manna that fell from heaven every day for them, the cloud that shielded them from the burning sun, the, the fire by night to guide their way, the water coming out of the rock, all of that abundance, they forgot. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all, all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Now, that, that verse right there makes me, makes me think of um, something I read out of, this, out of this book that I shared the other week, I can't remember what, few few Sundays ago, uh, and I shared this with you guys. Nobody took it, but this book is called "What Every American Needs to Know About the uh, Quran." Remember that? It's not a, it's not a real fun read, but it's a history. It's history. It's little snippets of history. Boom, boom, boom. Fast paced, and and I just went right through it. Yeah, because it's got some rough stuff in it. It does have some rough stuff. But remember a few Sundays ago, I was talking about Captain John Smith and how, oh yeah, it was the, it was the story about him fighting the Muslim the guy. It was like a one-on-one. And he, when it, the city that they were trying to retake was called Ragal, and it's right where Hungary and Transylvania, it's in that pass there. And when they went in, they saw the heads of the people of that city hanging from the walls. And Captain John Smith, of course, he was, I don't think he was a captain at that time. He was only like 23 years old. But he became a captain really quick after that. Okay, we know Captain John Smith because he came to America. He came to Virginia. He showed up in Virginia. Yeah, so he was only, I don't think he was but like 28, 29 years old when he came here. And the famous story of Pocahontas saving his life. So 
the, the, the chief of that Indian tribe uh, was about ready to kill him, and Pocahontas shows up and, and begs for the life of, she didn't want to see this man die. Pocahontas was only 11 years old. Captain John Smith was 28, 29 by that time. Well, if you, if you go back to that story I told you about him getting, you know, being in the fight with these Muslim guys, I mean, he, he, he wiped three out, took the heads off of three, and then they get finally wised up and say, you know what, I don't think we want to mess with this guy anymore. Well, they, they went on to fight a battle, and I want to read that part of it with you, and you'll know why um, I'm reading it to you when you hear this one part. So, okay. So John Smith continued in the regiment of Earl Meldrich, fighting in 1602 for Radha Sarban to defend Wallachia, I mean, I can't pronounce some of these cities, against invading Turkish Muslims. In the battle, the Earl of Meldrich was killed along with 30,000 soldiers. John Smith was wounded and left for dead. Smith, among the slaughtered, now, he's, he's, uh, he's still in his early 20s at, when he's doing this. He didn't have to go and do this. He was from England, but he saw what was happening down below, and he knew that if you didn't stop them where they were, they were going to end up in your backyard. So he went out to help these other countries, Austria and Hungary and all these places that were being attacked. He went down to help them. Okay, so he gets, um, he's wounded really bad, and he's left for dead. So Smith, among the slaughtered dead bodies, and many a gasping soul with toils and wounds lay groaning among, this is, somebody wrote a poem, so this is part of a poem. Uh, it's, it's, so the poem goes, Smith, among the slaughtered dead bodies, and many a gasping soul, with toils and wounds lay groaning amongst the rest, till being found by the pillagers, he was able to live, and perceiving by his armor and habit, his ransom might be better than his death, they led him prisoner with, with many others. Okay, so at Axopolis, Smith was sold with other prisoners at the slave market, to Bashaw Begal, so chained by the necks in gangs of 20, they marched to Con Constantinople. There, Smith was pitied by Bashaw Begal's mistress, who sent him to her brother, Tamor Bashaw. Unfortunately, Tamor diverted all this to the worst cruelty, stripped Smith naked, shaved him bald, riveted an iron ring around his neck. So what did I just read out of Deuteronomy? You'll be delivered to your enemy, and they're going to put this iron ring around your neck. Remember the yoke of bondage. Remember that. The yoke of bondage. So that's what happened to him. Now... He, he, he was clothed with goat skins, as, uh, and he was only given goat guts to eat. 
That's what was left over. They gutted the goats to prepare for meals and everything. And he, if he wanted to eat, he had to eat what was left over, the insides of the, gut, of the goat. So this, uh, this guy, this Tamor, was beating him in the field. He was working. And he, he went out and just beat him. Well, John Smith was a pretty tough dude, so he got him. He took an opportunity that he saw and killed him. Hit his body in the straw took the clothes off of him, put on himself, grabbed a bag of grain, jumped on a horse, and started riding to Russia. <clears throat> and after 16 days, he found somebody who could take the, you know, get the rivets drilled out to where they can get that ring off of his neck. And then he ends up going all the way back to where he was to start with and got right back in the fight after going through all of that. All, that, all this stuff happened before he ever came to Virginia. Now, when he gets to Virginia, he said in his book that he wrote, or something that he wrote, he, sa he said, when I first went to Virginia, I well remember we did hang an awning, <clears throat> which was an old sail, to three or four trees to shadow us from the sun. Our walls were rails of wood, our seats unhewed trees till we cut planks. Our pulpit, a bar of wood nailed to two neighboring trees, in foul weather we shifted into an old rotten tent, for we had few better. This was our church. <laughs> till we built a homely thing like a barn. Now listen to this part. We had... Daily common prayer, morning and evening. Daily morning prayer, morning and evening. Every day, two sermons. Every day, two sermons. And every three months, the Holy Communion, till our minister died. And that was uh, Robert Hunt. And, uh, but our prayers daily... Um, with a homily on Sundays. So they had to get a new one. They had to get a new preacher shipped over from England. So that, uh, when I read this, it made me think of that. I remembered reading that before, and, and I just saw this yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. <clears throat> the Lord shall bring a, this is back in uh, Deuteronomy, 28, 49, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from, from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a, nation's, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. He shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land, until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave <clears throat> thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, which we know of cow, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates, until thy high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trustest. So they trust in their walls that they built. You know, man is clever, man invents things, and they build up securities that they think 
they're safe behind. So they were trusting in these fenced walls and these high and fenced walls. Well, that's a false sense of security. It's good to do that. It's smart to do that. But if that's all you do and you're not trusting God to be your true protector, see, now this BC, you know when you besiege a city, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, I think he read his Bible. You know, great generals, they knew, they, they knew they, they'll go back and study battles from years gone by and see things that have happened so they won't get caught in some bad situations, but then they know how to wage war. <clears throat> now, when these besieges happened, it was, all right, you were in your walled city, and then they would come, and they had so many people, they would just surround you, and then just wait, and wait. Well, you might run out of water, you might run out of food, then you become very hungry, and you do crazy stuff when you're hungry, and a lot of people would try to sneak out, and then they would get captured. Uh, some people are like, well, I'm going to starve to death anyway. I might as well go for it. But in the Civil War, it was the, I'm trying to remember what, it was, on, it was, it was down in Mississippi, I believe, on the Mississippi River. There was a town there and a fort and Grant set up that type of, type of situation to where there was never a battle and they ended up surrendering because they were going to starve to death. Vicksburg, I think. Is that, was, that in, uh, was that in Mississippi? Vicksburg? I think that was, the, that was going to be a big battle. The only battle part of it was when they were floating down the river, they had the cannons and the... the, the, the Union Army needed to get past them, and this is, don't take this as absolute because I'm just remembering from, the, from a long time ago this story, <clears throat> but I'm pretty sure that's the fort they were passing, and he watched, he sent some test vessels down through there, and he realized that the guns couldn't point down low enough, so <clears throat> everybody wanted to stay as far as they could away from the uh, cannons. So they got way over to the far right of the river to go down, but that was the cannons were set up for that. But he realized they couldn't point them down low enough, so if you went real close to the fort, they couldn't shoot you. So he got everybody going down to the far left, and the cannons were shooting over top of them. And that's how they got everybody down to where they needed to be. And you can go in your history and you can look it up for yourself how they besieged the city and got that victory. But he was very wise, very wise. But he, he was also someone who feared God. And many of those generals, whether they were in the north or the south, there was, there was uh, some God-fearing men that were in that war. Okay, uh, where was that? <clears throat> So they were trusting in the high walls. Through, all right, this is the middle of 52. Throughout all thy land, and he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body. Do what? So what's the fruit of the body, of the human body? That would be the kids, right? You produce fruit. You produce children. So you shall eat the fruit of thine own body, 
the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee, save that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil toward his brother. So someone who was, you would never think would cause any problems whatsoever, no harm at all. He's so delicate, he's tender, he's, when, you're, when you're starving to death, that all goes out. And toward his wife of his bosom, so he, it's, it turns to evil toward his brother, toward his wife, and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave, so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he hath nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness, wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in all thy gates. The tender and the delicate woman among you, which, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground, for delicateness and tenderness, her eye shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young, young one that cometh out from between her feet and toward her children which she shall bear, for she shall eat them <clears throat> for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates." Now, that happened when the Babylonians came in. It also happened when Rome. Rome did the same thing. That's one most people would remember, well, if, reading about. I don't think anybody was around then to remember. But the Romans came in and did that very thing. And they knew they could starve them out. <clears throat> and they did. Many people ran for it and died. Many people were caught and hung on crosses. I mean, there was... It was a very, very brutal attack by the Romans on Jerusalem. And Jesus talks about how, you know, when you see it coming, don't go... So there's two, there's two different things that happens. When you're, when you're reading Jesus talking about the end times... He's talking about the Romans coming to the city and besieging the city and destroying it and all the people dying. But there's also a tribulation time. So when you look at Scripture, there are things in the past, things that were getting ready to happen right then, and then a thing that was going to happen in the future. And we... We get these, so, these guys that are so smart, they've been to Bible college, and they'll pick one or the other and fight over them instead of understanding that the Word of God is way too deep for them, and the more knowledge they get, the least that God wants to use them. They get so self-confident in what they've learned, and they think they've got it figured out, and they end up being pitiful. And then you take some young kid will figure these things out. So those things happened when, the, when Rome came in and sacked Jerusalem. Now there's going to be similar things that are going to happen in the future during the tribulation. Similar. It's going to be horrible. 
It's going to be like a repeat of that. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words, all the words, of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name. Notice that it is in all capitals, the Lord thy God. Then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful, <laughs> and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sickness, sicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and, the, and, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of this law, them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. So we got a taste of certain plagues that happened in the Bible, but evidently new ones are coming, and they did, and they still keep coming. New ones, new ones, manufactured ones. <clears throat> and ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldest not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to, to, to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And that did happen to them when they were in the land of Canaan. They were in the promised land, and then they, will, they were scattered. Now look what it says next. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Now when they went to Babylon, and when the northern uh, uh, kingdom went to Assyria, you know, when the Assyrians came down, they all went to these pagan places, and that's what they were subjected to. Now, we know a lot about Babylon because of Daniel, and we know what they went through. You, don't, you only see, what, four people who didn't bow to these idols. You had the three that thrown in the fiery furnace, and Daniel, right? Well, I'm just talking about that one situation of being in Babylon. Because they were, they were later, in the Persian, so that, so that would have been a little bit later on. But yeah, of course, there's other examples, but as far as what's in Daniel, when you read Daniel, you only see those four. So think about how many thousands were taken there. That meant that all the others were doing what they were told, so they wouldn't go into the fiery furnace. Just a remnant will be obedient, a remnant. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear 
day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even, and at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships. By the way whereof I speak unto thee, thou shalt see it no more again, and there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Now, there, so, so that's pretty, you're, you're worthless, basically. You, you've gotten to the point where you're worthless to where people are going to try to sell you and people are going to be like, I'm not bidding on them. Don't, you can't even be sold as a slave. We don't want them. Put them back on the ship and send them away. Now, when it says here that they are going to be, they're going to bring thee into Egypt again, did they ever physically go back to Egypt? There was a time when some did. It's an actual historical event, but not all the nation. But what does Egypt represent? It's just bondage and worldliness. So they were put back into bondage. So what do you get from Deuteronomy? This is Deuteronomy, Old Testament, but remember, remember, transitional. It's the last book of Moses, and Moses writes these five books, and Deuteronomy is what Jesus quoted every time in the temptation. Each time he was tempted, he quoted something out of Deuteronomy. We should pay very close attention to Deuteronomy because the Lord did. Did Jesus need to speak the word of God to have victory over the devil? Did he need to? Did, you, you're like, why did he do this? He was powerful. He's the Son of God. He could have wiped him out. He could have, all these things that he had at his, his uh, fingertips to just, boom, win, be victorious. Why didn't he? Why didn't he do it? Because he knew that we couldn't do that. None of us can do that. We can't call down a legion of angels to come and wipe out our enemies. All these things that we cannot do, Jesus, in his humanness, connected with us and said, they can't do that, but they can speak the word of God. They've got what they need right here in the Bible. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Pretty awesome. He was thinking about us in that temptation. Now in the Old Testament, you think of bondage. You think of being expelled out of the Garden of Eden. You think of Joseph being taken down to Egypt and being falsely accused and put into the prison. The nation, I mean, God's people, they, they all had to go down there. And, and uh, they went from living in freedom, liberty. They had liberty where they were, but they went down into Egypt, and then later on they were all in bondage. They found themselves one day in bondage. So we see bondage over and over and over again.
Uh, the Bible talks about bondage and liberty, and we have 66 books of the Bible, 66 different books in the Bible. How many Old Testament books are there? Y'all all know that. You've got to know that. Joseph, how many books in the Old Testament? 39. Now, do, do you know how many times? You can get your uh, Strong's Concordance, and you open it up to, to the word bondage. How many times is the word bondage in the Word of God all the way through? How many times? I'll give you a hint. How many Old Testament books are there? 39. 39. So there's 39 mentions of bondage throughout the Bible, and there just happens to be 39 Old Testament books. Okay, how many New Testament books are there? Some people are doing some math. Joseph already knows. 27. 27. All right, so you got 27. The word liberty, if you go back, you know, flip over to the L's in your strong concordance and look at liberty, how many times is liberty in the King James Bible? 27? What makes you think that? You're right. You're right. It's 27 times. Is that odd? Is that just strange? But only in the King James Bible. Okay, so if you, get, if you take your ESV and you, you go to 1 Peter, you go to 2 Peter and you look up, liberty, you try to find that verse that's got liberty in it, and it'll say freedom, and freedom, and, and, and 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But then you back up to James, and you've got the law of liberty in James twice. Well, in the ESV, it says law of liberty. So you have freedom, freedom, liberty, liberty. So you could say, well, maybe the ESV, it's... Every time you see liberty, it says freedom, and it's got 27 as well. Nope. You don't have to go far, and you find out that that's out the window. Same thing with bondage, because they changed bondage to slavery. But then in Exodus, they changed bondage to service. So that's two different words right there. So the, the verse is talking about uh, their bondage, and, and the ESV says their service, because they were... They were the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, right? So it, that verse, I can't remember what verse it is. I know it's in Exodus. But it says service for bondage. So my point is, you're only going to find that in the King James Bible. 39 and 27. In the Bible, the, those two words, liberty and bondage, are both representative of the Old and the New Testaments. Bondage and captivity to sin under the law, that's Old Testament. Liberty and freedom in Christ by faith in His blood to redeem us from our sins and the curse of the law, that's New Testament right there. Bondage, liberty. Now there's a whole lot more I can talk about with that. Um, in Galatians 5.1 it says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Remember, I told you to remember, yoke of bondage. 
You don't want that yoke of iron put around your neck. The whole theme of Galatians is about men trying to bring the church back under the law. That's what was going on, and that's why Paul had to write Galatians. And then in, in Galatians 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he says, and, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So there's two verses, uh, Galatians 5.1 and Galatians 2.4, that have liberty and bondage in the same verse. And if you read Galatians, you will see the allegory of the, of the son that was born of the free woman, the son that was born of the bond woman. And then write down 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read that real quick, and then we'll be done. Notice, the, notice this, the wording. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 6, and then we're going to jump down to uh, uh, 14. Verse 6 says, Who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Remember, bondage, the yoke of iron put around your neck until you be destroyed. Bondage and death. The law convicts you to death. Now jump down to 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for those uh, things that you have put in your word that show us that you preserved your word, that your hand is on it, your signs and wonders are all through it. Father, you are the king, you have written your scroll, you have wrote it, you have dipped it, you have sealed it with your ring. And Father, it is from you. We are to believe it. We are to live by it. We are to get to know you better by reading it. We are to hide it in our hearts. And it has the power to bring us to a salvation experience. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.